a Michigan judge who basically issued a preliminary injunction against Michigan's 1931 trigger law that would ban abortions in the state. It turns out that this judge is a longtime abortion advocate. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you haven't already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss any episode of Michigan in Focus. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the Michigan in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcast at americastalking.com. We ask you to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're recording today's podcast on Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Joining me today is Michigan reporter Scott McClellan. How you doing today, Scott? Doing good. How are you, Bruce? Well, I'm doing okay. It is a day of celebration. It is Pete Townsend's 76th or 77th birthday. And you probably don't know who Pete Townsend is if I read you correctly. That's correct. Well, there was a little band. It was called The Who. And for a while there, it was considered to be the best live band on the planet. And they're they're still touring. They're well into their mid to late 70s, and they're still touring. And one of their big hits that they never perform live, I've never seen them perform it live, and I've seen them about 20 times, is a song called Legal Matter. And as long as we're talking about legal matter and we're this is Michigan in Focus. Let's talk about what's going on in some of the court systems here in Michigan. And uh, wrote a story this week, actually wrote a couple of stories about a Michigan judge who basically issued a preliminary injunction against Michigan's 1931 trigger law that would ban abortions in the state. Uh, which would be triggered into effect if Roe v. Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. But it turns out that this uh, judge is a longtime abortion advocate, political ties to Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. And uh, the judge's name is Elizabeth Gleitcher, and she has she is a past recipient of Planned Parenthood's Advocate Award in 1998. She additionally donated $1,000 to Nestle's campaign coffers last fall. And um, coincidentally, this is where it gets pretty interesting. Nestle was named a defendant in her capacity as attorney general in the lawsuit Planned Parenthood filed for the injunction, which was indeed issued by Gleitcher. Now, the reason this is interesting is because well, Gleitcher donated to her and uh, Nestle had already been very outspoken, vehemently outspoken, how she would not enforce the 1931 law were it triggered into effect. So uh, it all becomes very interesting. There's a couple of groups who are kind of suggesting, well, more than suggesting, maybe uh, as well being vehement in their insistence that she should have recused herself. And um, she she sort of kind of um, uh, saw that one coming, but when she was assigned the case, it was um, 
I spoke with uh, the Michigan Supreme Court Public Information Office Communications Director, John Nevin, yesterday. And what he sent me was uh, a letter that was authored by the clerk, Jerome W. Zimmer. And he sent a letter to counsel. He didn't send a letter to anybody else. But the counsel at any given point in time could have said, oh, you should recuse yourself. But because they were essentially on the same team, there was no adversarial relationship between the uh, prosecution and the defendant or the judge for that matter. So uh, they, they sent it to counsel and counsel said, when this case was initiated, I'm quoting this directly, it was randomly assigned to Chief Judge Elizabeth L. Gleicher using the assignment algorithm in the court's case management system. Hmm. Upon reviewing this assignment, Judge Gleicher asked me to notify all counsel of record that she makes yearly contributions to Planned Parenthood of Michigan. And she represented Planned Parenthood as a volunteer attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union in 1996-1997 and Mahaffey versus Attorney General. And that was in 1997. While the judge, while Judge Gleicher does not believe this warrants her recusal and is certain that she can sit on this case with requisite impartiality and objectivity, she believes that this letter of disclosure is appropriate if any party disagrees with Judge Gleicher's assessment. An appropriate motion may be filed in accordance with uh, the Michigan civil law. So uh, there you have it. Uh, you up to date yet there, Scott? Yeah, I have. Uh, just was able to catch up this morning. Uh, crazy. Uh, that's uh, some very interesting points right there. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's not just that. I mean, she's been um, working on pro-abortion cases since at least 1989, including uh, litigating against Michigan's parental consent laws to allow 12-year-olds to leave the state to procure an abortion. So there, there's all sorts of, and th th this is, and I, this is a good place to add that at the center square, we don't normally cover these type of topics, but because it seems ab above and beyond uh, what one would consider to be normal jurisprudence, it seemed relevant to our readership and, and to our listeners here on Michigan in focus. Let's move on just a little bit, Scott. And um, what have you got today? I'm. Uh, I put up a story this week, basically uh, trying to find out if Michigan agencies can regain trust. And what I mean by that is, uh, three audits in the last three months ha months have showed that uh, a range of Michigan agencies have not been doing their job. So uh, for the Unemployment Insurance Agency, uh, an auditor general report found that 42 of 61 sample of for, for 42 of 61 sampled UIA workers, the agency did not sever uh, account access to the software uh, timely. And they also did not uh, disable remote access for several employees. And uh, I, I think this kind of explains why uh, the last time I checked, at least 18 UIA employees have been fired after a criminal investigation. 
Well, there's some percentages in your story, too. Uh, they didn't even go through all of the employees that were fired. They just took a random sampling. And out of that random sampling, it was a pretty high percentage of individuals who were bad eggs. They were bad actors. Yeah, the, the audit found that for 80% or 3645 uh, people, uh, there were no background checks on these employees who have access to uh, sensitive tax information. Uh, so, I mean, these people could have committed identity fraud, which uh, not very funny, but yeah, depends on your sense of humor. The UIA actually did employ people convicted of identity fraud to disperse uh, billions of benefits. I mean, in the time of one of these audits, I believe there were $36 billion dispersed using the software that the UIA did not lock down access to. Sure. Well, the phrase Fox guarding the hen house comes to mind. So, yeah, uh, I, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, I, it. That, that's, that's the UIA. I mean, is there anything else that, that was revealed? I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week, but is there a- anything more or new revelations that have come to light from the, the next audit that was conducted? Uh, just more of the agency not following its own rules. Uh, the, the UIA has said that it has fixed these problems now. Um, however, the agency has been saying that for more than two years, and we're still seeing audits like this. I talked to Rep. Steve Johnson. He's the chair of the House Oversight Committee that's really been pressing the UIA, uh, it seems like, since 2020. And uh, Johnson, he, he was skeptical that there's going to be any change. Uh, he called for the agencies to admit their failures um, so they can try to regain Michigander's trust. A second audit I covered, uh, it looked into uh, long-term care, and the audit found that even before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the Michigan agency that visits long-term care agencies, they did not visit quarterly over 88% of more than 4,000 total active facilities in fiscal year 2019. So that was before the pandemic. Uh, A lot of... um, Michigan Michiganders and long-term care units were just weren't being visited in person. Now the agency called, they emailed, they, uh, you know, uh, they use virtual platforms, but they did not necessarily visit in person for um, 31 months, uh, which they're supposed to, it's literally their job. Okay. Well, this is, this is ongoing. And, Mm -hmm. and to be, to be fair, you know, it's, I don't want to kick an agency when it's really, 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 really down. But uh, there, there was a tremendous amount of unemployment applications that were coming through at the time. And uh, it, uh, it overwhelmed uh, already antiquated and outdated system. I mean, is, is that a correct assertion? Yes. Yes, it is. Not only from uh, real Michiganders, but there are also, uh, according to several people I've talked to, there are uh, criminal organizations overseas that specifically targeted states with weak uh, unemployment programs uh, that they were protected uh, with. They just weren't protected very well. So these uh, these groups targeted uh, uh, places like Michigan and just uh, just barraged their old system enough until the UIA just. Uh, paid out a lot of fraud, fraudulent claims. 
Well, it, it seems that uh, the uh, headline to your story is uh, not just a rhetorical question. I mean, it, it actually posits a, a genuine interrogative in that you wonder, can they ever regain trust after such a tremendous string of unfortunate events? Yeah, it's I guess we'll have to wait and find out. OK, well, let's let's move to the second part of your story, because wait, there's more we have uh, to contend with what's going on with the audit of long term care. And uh, you have been writing about this um, very thoroughly over the past couple of years. And uh, a, a lot of this stems from an investigation that was conducted by Charlie Ladoff, the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times, former New York Times, and now uh, he has returned to the Detroit News, I believe. But anyway, and the uh, host of the No BS Hour, he and the Mackinac Center for Public Policy have been looking into LTC facility uh, counts during the COVID crisis. And I'm just, I'm because this stuff is overwhelming for me and you are the subject matter expert, Scott, I'm gonna just uh, let you drink your Red Bull and take off, go for it. Yeah, so Laduff and the Mackinac Center, uh, they asserted that Michigan was not counting all of the COVID-19 deaths that occurred in long-term care facilities. Uh, the state said that it was, it turns out that uh, I guess both were a little bit right. Uh, it just depends. Uh, the The two groups were just counting different numbers. That's right. That's pretty and, much and, what it comes down to. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Laduff and uh, uh, Steve Nalini from yeah. uh, the Mackinac Center uh, say that uh, they undercount the state undercounted by as much as 45 percent. I'm not 100% sure on the percentage, uh, but I, I think that that is uh, pretty much what they were saying. But I think one of the big differences was that uh, a lot of the state facilities in Michigan don't necessarily have to report deaths if they have uh, uh, if they're under a certain bed limit. So there's different reporting requirements for the federal and state level, I believe. Okay, well, let's get back to the audit in and of itself. I and mean, what does the audit say? Uh, because it's being spun in every which way direction. And uh, as a nonpartisan individual, I'm, I'm left wondering, what the heck? What, 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 what is the takeaway here? I think the takeaway is that even though the state long-term care agency was able to visit nursing homes uh, for nearly two years, they did not. And I'm not sure why they did not. Uh, so the state did shut down nursing home access from March 2020 uh, through about through late June 2020. Uh, after that, the state health department issued an epidemic order that did restrict visiting to long-term care. However, that order explicitly uh, excluded Michigan's long-term care agency uh, so, uh, from the visiting restrictions. So, so that that happened, uh, you know, early 2020. The audit found that the Michigan long-term care agency did not resume regular in-person visitation until March 2022. 
So that means that if these long-term, if these people in long-term care did not have friends and family visiting them, it's likely that no one did. And that's, and yeah, and that's, uh, that's what I was talking to with one long-term care advocate. So um, I think everybody would be inclined to grant a mulligan when it's due, but it seems that perhaps maybe this was just uh, kind of baked in to the yeah, game. It was happening even before 2020. I mean, fiscal year 2019, this was a problem. So I, yeah, I just, I don't see how it's changed. It was a problem in 2019 and it's, you know, I, I mean, I guess they resume visiting, but who knows what that two years of missed visits missed out on. Okay. Well, look, Scott, I know you're a busy fella and uh, you uh, hoofed it over to watch some uh, shenanigans in the Capitol in Lansing today. And uh, there were some tax bills. I know that uh, the governor has suggested her own uh, basket full of goodies for voters. And this being an election year, that's to be anticipated, but that uh, the Republicans had already done so, but now they, uh, in their budget for 2023, they said, oh, well, we're looking to give like $2, bill, $2 billion in uh, goodies to, um, to Michigan taxpayers. So what did you find out today? So it's you still You intrepid reporter, you. The uh, it's still pending. The uh, lawmakers are still uh, jabbing on and not doing much. But so this uh, so for context, uh, the Senate fiscal agency estimated that Michigan has will have a budget surplus of two point eight billion dollars this fiscal year and then one point one billion dollars next fiscal year. So what that means in politician talk is that they want to blow all that money so they can get reelected. So today, Governor Gretchen Whitmer pitched sending five hundred dollar checks to quote working families. I'm not sure what the definition of that is, uh, but the House and Senate today are voting on a new tax plan. It's supposed to provide $2.5 billion in tax relief, uh, and that would be through lowering the personal income tax from 4.25% to 4% uh, to boost um, income tax credits and to boost the earned income tax credit. Uh, the last point being, uh, it seems to be in agreement with Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So, um, yeah, so that's what's happened now. Uh, I'm, they might still be voting on it. I'm not 100% sure. So we'll see what happens next. Thank you, Scott. Scott McClellan is the Center Square's Michigan reporter. And Michigan in Focus is powered by the Center Square, a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Listen for another episode of Michigan in Focus next week. 